Let's get into our message this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on this message as it goes out today. Lord, help me to say it clearly and with the unction of your Holy Spirit. And help whoever's listening today to be able to lock in and tune in to the message and figure out something that you are saying to them in their life and how they can follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin today, it's called An Unexpected Guest. It comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and verses 36 through 50. It's about Jesus being invited to a party and then an event that happens while he's at a party. Um, I don't know if you've been to any fun parties in your life. Um, I, of course, I'm speaking pre-COVID, right? Um, there's not too many parties we're able to have now that we're in this pandemic COVID season. But maybe if you can remember long ago uh, before when people could gather together without masks on, uh, maybe there was a fun party that you were able to attend. Maybe you found yourself at a party that perhaps you weren't invited to. Uh, one time I remember I was a, a senior in high school and we had friends in our youth group in our Fullerton church that were from other high schools other than Troy High, the one that I attended. Uh, one friend was from Sunny Hills High School and he invited me to a party and I went with him to a party and we went on the other side of town, the other side of Fullerton, to over what was known as Sunny Hills Territory. I mean, there are geographic boundaries for our high schools, and you know, we were, lived over in Troy Territory. He was in Sunny Hills, and I walked into the party with him. Thank God I wasn't wearing anything that said Troy on it, no letterman's jacket, no nothing, because I would have been a very unwelcome guest at a Sunny Hills party. Um, there's another party, I want to show you a slide too, uh, from a movie that I remember, a very funny movie with Jack Black. It's called Nacho Libre. And in this party, Nacho, uh, he is a, a monk at a monastery with an orphanage for the kids, but secretly he wants to be a luchador. He wants to be a wrestler. And so it takes place down in Mexico, and he's trying to get... Uh, uh, into the, the wrestling business. So he and his friend Esqueleto, they start wrestling uh, in these minor bouts, and his dream is to be able to finally wrestle the champion Ramses. And so uh, Nacho and his friend Esqueleto, they sneak into a party uninvited. They pretend that they're musicians, and they find themselves standing in front with a band and the Ramses and his promoter asked them to sing a song. So there is a, a slide that, that depicts that right there, where, where he is singing a song to Ramses. And, of course, he gets in trouble. Uh, if you know the movie, it's a lot of fun. He was an uninvited guest who was crashing a party. So Jesus, this is a story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Jesus is invited to a party. But this party was not hosted by one of his followers like Matthew back in chapter 5. You remember Jesus was invited to a Matthew party, Matthew the tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. And so he has a party with all his sinner friends. Well, that was probably a fun party. The party that Jesus is invited to now is probably not a fun party at all. Why? Because it was hosted by a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the strictest sect or subgroup of the Jewish population there in Israel. They had lots of laws and rules and clean and unclean behavior. And so uh, this man, Simon, who was a Pharisee, he invites Jesus to a party. And of course, we begin in verse 36. It says, 
when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, one question I would ask starting off was if the Pharisees were the traditional enemies of Jesus, right? He, he was always criticizing them. He says, you know, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are really far from God. You say that this is the law and this is what you have to follow, but actually you figure out ways to subvert the law of God in order to do what you want to do. For example, the Pharisees would, um, instead of taking care of their own parents in their old age, they would say that all their money has been dedicated to God. And so if it's dedicated to God, they can't use it to take care of their parents. And Jesus says, you do like that all the time. You nullify the word of God by your traditions, right? So Simon is one of these Pharisees, and he's invited Jesus to a party, a dinner party at his house. Now, so this isn't going to be a fun party. This isn't going to be a lot of music and, and laughter. This is probably going to be one of those parties where they, they talk about strict interpretations of the law of Moses and who's really following God better than anybody else. So here's Jesus getting invited, accepting the invitation. I, I, I think it says something about who Jesus is, because even though it's probably not one of his friendlies who's invited Jesus to this party, Jesus is willing to meet with anyone. In fact, Jesus has tremendous love for anyone outside of God's family, whether you're a religious person or an irreligious person. Jesus basically says, I'm not going to refuse to sit down and talk with anyone who wants to sit down and talk with me. And so Jesus finds himself at this party. Now, if you were at this party, uh, it's a very interesting arrangement because they have this low center table, right? So in a first century dinner party, there's this low center table and the party guests gather around the table in a circle, but they gather head first and they're leaning on their left elbow. So here's the center of the table. They're leaning on their left elbow. Their right hand is free so that they can grab the food. Now, of course, that wouldn't work very well for me because I'm a lefty, and I don't even know if I could hold the food in my hand with my right hand, but it would be difficult. I would do my best, or I would turn the other way, and then it would be this awkward, like, face-to-face, -face, one foot away from the other party guest looking at me. So anyway, uh, that's how the parties were, and of course, their heads were toward the center, the middle of the table. Their feet would be bare feet because they would be invited to take off their sandals and a normal guest would have their foot washed as they came in from the dirty uh, roads outside. And of course, this didn't happen to Jesus, but his feet and every guest's feet were outside toward the outside from the center of the table. And so if you picture that, everybody's reclining and everybody's talking, and then something very unexpected happens. So verse 37, there's a woman who enters, and she is an uninvited guest. She's literally crashing the party. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, this would have been an expensive jar of perfume, probably represented a large portion, if not all, of her savings. This woman, and, and Luke doesn't describe who she is. He doesn't describe her by name. Some uh, traditional commentators have said this could be Mary Magdalene, but I don't believe it was. But it was just a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. It could have been prostitution. It could have been something else. Luke does not spell it out in any detail. But she came to the party because she knew about Jesus 
She knew that she would not be welcome in the strict Pharisee religious home, but since she knew Jesus was there and it was an opportunity for her to see Jesus, she just decided to crash the party and show up anyway. And so now here comes at this party of these strict religious Jews and Jesus, here comes this woman, quote, who was known in the town for having lived a sinful life, right? As she stood behind him at his feet and she was weeping, right? So this woman was overcome with emotion. She was so grateful to be in the presence of Jesus. She was so grateful for what Jesus had done in her life that she wanted to do something to show this amazing act of devotion toward him, right? So she's at his feet. She is weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. I don't understand that kind of weeping. It doesn't come naturally to me. But if, if you're a weeper, you know, and the tears are coming down out of your eyes, can you imagine them falling on the feet of Jesus? So that's where she is, standing at his feet. Her tears are falling on his feet, and she bends down and wipes his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet. She poured perfume on them. And I imagine that, that jar of perfume, when it was broken, it would fill the whole area, the room up with the fragrance of that perfume. So she was known for having lived a sinful life. But it's also clear from this encounter with Jesus, as she's weeping and as she's worshiping and offering Jesus this tremendous gift, that, she, that whatever sinful life that she'd been living, she was no longer living it. And why? Because she had found the grace that is found, getting what she didn't deserve, which was God's forgiveness and favor through the Savior, Jesus. So um, one question I would ask is, how does this woman even feel comfortable? If the strict religious Jews, and they were just men and women, they were sinful people just like everybody else, but they lived a more strict religious life. If she wasn't welcome in their house, if she would have been told to leave by them, how is it that this woman can feel comfortable enough to approach Jesus? Friends, I, when I ask that question, I ask that question about us. You know, what is it about us? Why do we act you know, sometimes as if our sin disqualifies us from ever coming into God's presence, right? It's like, well, I've sinned, so now I feel guilty. I feel shamed. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin violates our relationship with God. I don't feel worthy to be able to come into God's presence. We feel that way because we recognize our sin, and we feel that way because we need God to show His grace to us too. In fact, coming to God as a sinner and recognizing that, that's the only thing, friends, that really qualifies us to be able to come into God's presence. So this woman, she's so grateful for being forgiven. She felt this need to bring an expensive offering, this alabaster jar of perfume as a thanksgiving to Jesus for what he had done. He'd been instrumental in changing her life. And for her, nothing is too good for Jesus right? So friends, here's a question I have for you. What about you? When was the last time that you took a risk to show your gratitude to God? When was the last time you stopped and said, God, I've, I am so grateful for what you've done in my life, what you're doing, how you're affecting me, changing me from the inside out, changing my family, changing my, my circle of friends. 
I've got this new community of faith, and you're doing wonderful things, and I'm so grateful. I just want to express my gratitude in some outlandish way. That's what this woman did. When was the last time you felt like doing something outlandish like this woman did? Well, friends, there's a song uh, that has come out recently in the last couple of years. It's by a, f- a pretty well-known Christian singer. Her name is Lauren Daigle. And it is, uh, there's a short video that I wanted to show you that typifies how a woman like this would feel and, how, and after learning what God has done in her life. So please give your attention to the screen. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. the sum of every high and every low Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know Friends, I hope your heart was touched by that song. I know we didn't play all of it, but my, my eyes started coming to tears when I think about where I was and where Jesus has taken me and dusted me off and cleansed my heart and changed my life. And I hope you feel the same way because that's a beautiful song of how a woman like the singer, like this woman who's come to Jesus would find a brand new identity through the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. She found where she belongs, and she believes. I hope you do the same. Well, here's what makes this party so awkward, right? This woman comes in. She crashes the party. She's an unexpected guest. She comes into Jesus' presence. She's weeping over his feet. She wipes him with her hair, extends the perfume, and everything seems great. And you think Jesus is going to say something kind to her, and that's going to be it. And everybody's going to realize, wow, I guess God is just awesome, and he loves everybody. Not just us strict Jews, Pharisees, right? But look at the unexpected twist in the story. Because Simon the Pharisee, right, he's the host of the party, the owner of the home, offering the dinner party to Jesus out of curiosity. Other people had called Jesus master. Other people called him Lord. Other people were calling him the son of David or even Messiah. Jesus or, or Simon just calls Jesus teacher. So you can sort of tell he's not quite there yet at understanding who Jesus really is. So Simon is looking at all this go on. 
And he sees this sinful woman, and oh my goodness, she's not only weeping over Jesus, she's touching him with her hair. This woman has lived a sinful life. She's known in the community. Jesus, how can you be doing that? The Pharisee invited him. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, and of course the language in the Greek implies he's really not. I mean, if this is what he was doing, he can't be a prophet. If this man really were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Wow, um, you sort of see what a judgmental person looks like in the first century. The trouble with Simon is that he thought he was so good. He thought he was living such a strict Jewish life in conformance to the law of Moses. He thought he was so good that he didn't need forgiveness, right? Simon thought that this woman was so bad that she didn't deserve forgiveness. Wow, what a difference between Simon the Pharisee and Jesus, right? He thought he was so good he didn't need forgiveness. He thought the woman was so bad that she didn't deserve forgiveness. The Pharisees like Simon, they're the kind of people that treat other people based on their past performance. It's like, you've lived a bad life. You can never get past that. You've lived a criminal life. You're always going to be that way. You had a bad marriage. You're always going to be that way. You've had a tough upbringing. You've had some drug problems or addiction problems in your life. You're always going to be that way, and you're never going to get any better. And we all just have to put up with you. That would be the attitude, friends, of Simon the Pharisee, right? And then on the other hand, he's lived such a religious life. Wait, God, you're lucky to have me on your team, right? He didn't even think he was that, that he deserved God's forgiveness or that he needed God's forgiveness. So let's move on. So now Jesus, the Pharisees, are seeing this woman. Simon is looking at this woman. All he sees is her sin, her moral failure of her past. You know, the difference is Jesus sees her potential. He sees who she can become. She doesn't have to be chained and shackled by the mistakes of her past. She can be forgiven and freed up to live a brand new transformed life. That's what the woman was hoping for. That's why she was there weeping at Jesus' feet. Jesus treats people based on their future potential, on who they can become. What a great hope that we all have in Jesus. So now Jesus, knowing what Simon was thinking, how he was judging this woman and judging Jesus, saying he can't even be a prophet if he doesn't even know who this sinful woman is, Jesus turns to Simon and wants to tell him a story, beginning in verse 42. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Well, at least Simon had enough respect for Jesus to call him teacher. So Jesus tells this story about people that owed money to a moneylender. He says two people owed money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 pieces of silver. The other owed him 50 pieces of silver. Now, neither debt was small because a piece of silver, silver represented a day's wage. If you make $100 in a day's wage for working in your job, that would have been you know, 50 times 100 or 500 times 100. You do the math. That's, both debts represent a lot of money. The point was neither one of them could pay the money lender back, right? And so neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of these two will love him more? Simon replied, 
So Jesus is asking him to make a judgment based upon the story, and Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That person would love him more because they had a bigger debt forgiven. Well, here's the truth about Simon and this woman. This is the point I think Jesus is trying to get at. Both Simon and this woman, they were both spiritually bankrupt. Neither of them could pay their debt to God. Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as this woman was, but he didn't realize it. In his own eyes, he thought he was, quote, better, certainly better than this sinful woman. His spiritual pride was keeping him away from Jesus. And that's one of the most dangerous things that you can have in your life, spiritual pride. Thinking that you're living such a good life that God is lucky to have you on His side, lucky to have you on His spiritual team. You know, thinking that, that you're not coming in at the foot of the cross like everybody else, that you're not coming in asking for God's forgiveness because of your sins and wrongdoing. Spiritual pride will keep you away from God and Jesus every single time. You have to watch out for that. Here's the truth, right? They were both spiritually bankrupt, just Simon didn't realize it. Jesus now applies the parable. So now in verse 44 to 47, Jesus is explaining what it means, right? So Simon says, you've, correct, you've actually answered justly. You've answered rightly, Simon. The one who had the bigger debt forgiven, that would be the person who appreciates the grace of the moneylender more. And he says to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? Simon, have you even really looked at her? Have you noticed her? Or just do you see her and you think unclean? Do you think morally corrupt? Do you think God could never accept or uh, love a person like that, right? Do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. And yet she wet my feet with her tears. Let me just pause real quick and explain something about Jewish hospitality. If you were to come into a good Jewish person's home for a dinner party or just a meal, you would have three things done for you. You would have your feet washed, you would be given a kiss of greeting, and you would have had some oil, usually olive oil, anointed on your head as a sign of peace, as a sign of welcome into the home. So those are the three signs. Jesus is pointing out all three signs that Simon didn't do any of them for Jesus as a guest in his home, right? So he says, this woman, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my, but she wet my feet with her hair and with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, Simon, but she has poured perfume on my feet. My guess is when Jesus is telling this story and explaining it, Simon is starting to feel guilty. Simon is starting to feel ashamed when Jesus pointed out his own mistakes, cultural failures to him as a guest in his home. And you know what happens when we follow Jesus? Sometimes Jesus is going to do that for us. He's going to stop us and point out times when we are doing what is wrong or saying what is wrong or not saying what we should say when we, when we should say it. And he's going to prompt us to do the right thing and he's going to convict us when we do the wrong thing. And how we respond to Jesus' correction, that's going to determine whether we grow in our spiritual faith or where we just get a hard heart and don't grow at all. 
Let's flip it over and walk in Simon's shoes just for a moment. How do you react when Jesus points out something in your life that needs to change? Maybe you've got a bad attitude. Maybe you've said a harsh word to someone. Maybe there's been a lack of acceptance towards somebody that you should accept. Do you just get defensive? Do you just start justifying yourself and your behavior? Or are you under the conviction enough to say, Lord, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then I'll try to do better next time. That pattern of response, correct response to Jesus, that determines whether we're going to grow in our faith or not. So Jesus uh, says to Simon at the end of all that, he says, you didn't do the right things for me, but this woman has done everything right. And he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, that person loves little. Wow, if you don't think God has really forgiven you very much, you might not have a whole lot of love in return for God. If you realize the depth of your sin and how that separates you from a holy, righteous God, you will have an even greater love for Jesus for having wiped away your sin when he gave his life on the cross for you. Someone has quipped, God is a lot easier to live with than many of his children. <laughs> Isn't that true? God is a lot easier to please sometimes than some of the rest of us are. So then Jesus turns to the woman and he gives her these life-giving words. When the woman hoped for the most, what she hoped Jesus would say to her is exactly affirmed by Jesus right now. In verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus said to the woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go into peace, literally. Go into peace. She now can live a peaceful life because she knows that Jesus has forgiven her and has wiped away her past and given her a brand new fresh start. You know, of course, wouldn't you at least hope that other people around the dinner table as they're watching this, this is what I would think. I would, I would say, did everybody see that? I mean, isn't that awesome the way Jesus treated her? Isn't he incredible to see this lost person and now they've been found? They were outside God's family. They've, they were unforgiven. They'd lived a sinful life. They were rejected by just about every upstanding member of this community. And yet Jesus accepted her and loved her and showed her grace and forgave her and said, go in peace. Man, that is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Your faith has saved you, he said. Go in peace. And don't overlook this point, friends. Jesus declares at this dinner table, he publicly declares that this woman has now been forgiven and cleansed. He said that not just for the woman's sake, but also for the sake of the guests. So they wouldn't look on her anymore and say, well, she's still a sinner. She's still chained by her past. No, Jesus has removed her scarlet letter. So, friends, here are three truths for us today. This is, this is kind of the takeaway. When you think about Simon the Pharisee and where he was in his view of this woman who came into the party unexpected, and then where Jesus wants us to be. Number one, and this is, I said this before about spiritual pride. Number one, pride blinds us. Pride blinds us to the truth. It blinds us to the idea that Every single person, no matter what kind of life they've lived, they've been created in the image of God. They have infinite value to the Lord and to us. 
And instead of looking at them as, as I've lived a better life than you or I've got my act together and you don't, we say we are both sinners in need of a Savior. Maybe I owe less on the ledger to God, so to speak, or maybe I think you owe more. But either way, both of us need Jesus to wipe our ledgers clean. So pride blinds us. That's the first point. Number two, what is it that saves us? Well, it's certainly not your spiritual performance. Simon tried to do that his whole life, didn't make him right with God. He needed Jesus just as much as this woman who crashed the party. Faith saves us. You have been saved by grace through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's the gift of God so that nobody can boast. Simon can't boast and say, God, you owe me access to heaven because of this great life I've lived. No, Simon has to come in through the same narrow pathway, pathway of trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Pride blinds us. Faith saves us. And then number three, look at this woman and think about the change, this radical change in her life. Forgiveness frees us, friends. Forgiveness frees us. Why? Because if Jesus is the Son of God and He has authority on earth to forgive sins and He says you're forgiven, then I am forgiven and I am cleansed. I told you about the other guests at the party. You're hoping they'd say, what, isn't that so awesome what Jesus did for this woman? But instead, what do the guests of the party say? They say among themselves, verse 49, it says, who is this? who even forgives sins. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> who is this who forgives sins? If Jesus is really the Son of God, if Jesus is really full of grace and truth, then what he says goes, and actually Jesus has every right to do this. He has every right to forgive sins. In fact, Jesus forgave sins over and over in the Gospels. And every time he did it, the Jewish people would pick up a rock or a stone. And they say, why are you doing that? He says, because only God can forgive sins. And if you say you've, you can forgive sins, then you're saying you're God. And Jesus never denied that. He proved, in this case anyway, that he was God's son and the Savior. I want to tell you a story about grace. This comes from the Depression era in 1935 in New York City. The mayor at the time in New York City was Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia. You heard that name before, LaGuardia? Yeah, it's a big airport in New York City. A lot of people have flown into LaGuardia Airport. It was named after one of New York's most famous mayors. He was the mayor of New York during the worst days of the, of the Depression and all through World War II. So he had a long tenure as mayor. And he was a lawyer and he was a judge before he became mayor. So Mayor Fiorello, this is in January of 1935. He goes down to one of the poorest wards in the city of New York. And he goes to a night court and he tells the judge, it's okay, judge, you've got the night off. I'm going to take over as judge for tonight. And apparently because he's mayor, he could get away with doing that, right? So in this evening, bitter winter cold night in January 1935, a tattered old woman was brought in before the bench. She was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told Mayor LaGuardia, she said that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and her own grandchildren were starving. That's why she stole the loaf of bread. On the other side, the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen he refused to drop the charges. 
He said to Mayor LaGuardia, it's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor. And the man said, she's got to be punished to teach all the people around here a lesson. Mayor LaGuardia sighed, and he turned to the woman, and he says, he's right. The law says, I've got to punish you. And the law makes no exceptions. The fine is either $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he was pronouncing the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his back pocket. He extracted a $10 bill. He threw it into the famous sombrero that he had there. And he said, here is the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for having to live in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her own grandchildren can live. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. And so that evening, the New York, or that next day, the New York City newspapers, they reported that $47.50 had been turned over to a bewildered, tattered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount was taken from the shopkeeper, the red-faced grocery store owner himself. And while some 70 petty criminals and people with traffic violations and lawyers and police officers, they all reached into their pocket for the privilege of being there that night to contribute to the needs of this woman. And they stood up and they gave Mayor LaGuardia a standing ovation for what he did. It's an amazing story. It comes from Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. Friends, that story is grace at work. The law before a holy, righteous God says that you are guilty. But then Jesus came along and he paid the fine for you. You're getting something from God that you don't deserve. That's grace. As the song lyrics say in the story, it says the only thing that matters now this is Lauren Daigle in the song. She says, the only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. She was being transformed by the renewing of her mind. What matters now, Lord, is what you think of me. You start getting a new identity as you're being renewed, as you're learning God's love for you and what he thinks of you and the future that he has for you. So where are you now in your spiritual journey with God today? Are you ready to bring yourself to Jesus? Are you ready to come into his presence and receive his forgiveness and cleansing for your sin? If you are, you might just want to celebrate with abandon like this woman did at a dinner party with Jesus. You know, friends, for many of you today, I want you to know that no matter where you are in your life, no matter how bad you think you've messed it up, Jesus can come in right now, and He can change your story. He just wants you to trust in Him. Put your trust in Jesus, just like the woman at the dinner party did. And if you do, He will forgive you, and He will set you free from guilt and shame and all the baggage from your past. Lord, that's what His grace can do. If you're ready to do that, I invite you to bow your head with me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, this morning, I come to you with humility, and I come to you with hope. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my sins. I ask you to cleanse my heart. 
I invite you to come in, Lord, and be the leader of my life. Lord, thank you for your love and grace that saves me, that sustains me. Today I declare that I believe, and Lord, I put my trust in you, Jesus. And Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that shows your love. Thank you for the story that shows what grace looks like in the life of a person whom everybody else seemed to reject, but you accepted, you loved, you saw her potential, and you changed her life. And Lord, I ask you to help us to be like you. Help us to be first like that woman who crashed the party, who came to you knowing that you would show her love, came to you knowing that she could worship you with abandon, and you would accept it, and you would love it. Lord, help us to not be like Simon. Help us to not look down on other people for what they've done or what past kind of life they've lived. Lord, remind us that you gave us the forgiveness of our debt. The penalty for our sins, Lord, you wiped that out just as much for us as for anyone else. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to show that same grace and forgiveness toward everyone like you do to us. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. We love you, and we lift them to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen.